Well, the rest of you, whichever Bible you happen to have in your lap, would you please turn with me to the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. We're going to be in verses 1 to 5 this morning. This week is week 2 of Mission Month. Uh, Once again, nobody wished me Happy Mission Month when I walked in. we got to get better at that. Next week, somebody wished me Happy Mission Month, although it is Mother's Day, and that probably does take a little bit of precedence over that. But this week is week two of Mission Month, which is the month that we've set aside to talk about our mission as a church, which is to make Christ known from our neighbors to the nations. Last week we talked about discipleship, how important that it is that we get not only our doctrine right, but our holiness right. We talked about there's been a lot of damage that's been done in the people acting on behalf of Jesus in the name of Jesus, and yet they've done more damage than good because they've either spread false doctrine or their lives have just made a shipwreck of the gospel. And so we said it's so important that we get our uh, our discipleship right, and that's why we announced last week the Foundations Discipleship Hour, which uh, is going to be uh, starting in September 2022. We're super excited about that. You saw the video earlier in the service. Uh, If you missed the sermon from last week, I'd encourage you to go back and watch at least the second half of that where we uh, lay out in fuller detail all of our uh, expectations for that time. But I hope you're excited about that as well. And this morning, I'm excited to continue in Mission Month, and we're going to talk about evangelism. Evangelism. And so I'm going to read 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 1 to 5. Hopefully you've made it there with me, and then we'll pray. Look with me at your Bible, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, starting in verse 1. It says, Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. But we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. But by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants, for Jesus' sake. Please bow your heads with me and let's pray. Heavenly Father God, we thank you once again for the opportunity to gather and look to your word as our guide, God, as we sing it and pray it and speak it and read it. Lord, we just ask that in uh, the act of reading and preaching your word that you would use it to transform our hearts and our lives, specifically when we talk about evangelism, Lord, that you've given us a mission, Father, to make your son Jesus known from our neighbors to the nations, and that can't be done without the gospel being spoken and preached and taught and shared. And so, Lord, as we look to your word this morning, help us, uh, just fill us with just an overwhelming gratitude for all that you've done for us in Christ that we just sang about. In Christ alone, our hope is found, Lord, and embolden us to share that truth with others, that in Christ alone, all of our hope is found, and it's in him and only him, and it's in his precious and beautiful name we pray, amen. Well, I imagine that there are very few things that I could say to open a sermon that would uh, produce uh, more immediate kind of low-level guilt among all of us than to say, 
Today we're talking about evangelism, right? I'm not going to make you raise your hand or anything, but how many of you, when I said we're talking about evangelism, kind of got this little like pit in your stomach, either because there's like a, a, just a massive fear of sharing your faith or just this guilt of like, oh, I know I should be doing that more, and I'm not. I imagine that's many of you be, only because I had that same feeling in the pit of my stomach in preparing this sermon. My personal evangelism is, shall we say, uh, inconsistent at best, and it can be downright non-existent at worst sometimes. I could be wrong. I hope maybe I'm wrong, but I'm guessing that many of you feel the same way. Say the word evangelism, it's like, oh boy, okay. Just kind of gut it through this sermon before we get on to whatever we're talking about next week. I imagine that's true of some of us, many of us maybe, but I also, here's my guess, I imagine that's not true of Every single one of us. I would guess that there are some here this morning, when I say we're talking about evangelism, and even as I'm saying, like, talking about maybe the response that we can have sometimes, maybe some of you are like, geez, Pastor Mike, I don't know why you're making such a big deal about it. It's really not that scary. It's not a big deal. Imagine that's maybe some of your response to that. And if that's you, I think there's a good chance that evangelism is your spiritual gift, In fact, I would actually uh, make a a conjecture that there are some of you who are spiritually gifted in evangelism and you just don't know it yet. Like maybe you have that kind of fear in your heart right now when you think about it, but you're going to practice it more. And the more you do it, the more you're going to realize, actually, I think I might be gifted in this way. It's a weird thing about spiritual gifts, isn't it? You think that if God's going to give me a spiritual gift, I'm just going to have it in its fullest and completest form and just boom, that'll be it. But that's not how spiritual gifts work work at all. And so I'm guessing for some of you, you're spiritually gifted in evangelism, whether you know it now or whether or not. In fact, I'm not guessing. I know that you are because the Bible tells us that the church has been gifted with some who are evangelists. I'm even looking at some of you right now that I know are gifted in that way. So some of you are gifted in this way, but some of you aren't. And if you're not, you're off the hook. We're not talking to you. No, just kidding. You're not off the hook. Just seeing if you're listening this morning. If I had a surgery coming up and I asked you to pray for me, I don't think you would respond, eh, prayer's not my spiritual gift, Pastor Mike. Sorry, you're going to have to have someone else to pray for you, right? Or if there was a a widow's lawn that needed mowed and I asked you to mow her lawn, you probably wouldn't say, eh, service is not one of my spiritual gifts, so I'm not going to do that. Or if you had a child or grandchild that came up to you and asked you a question about Jesus, you wouldn't say, at least you better not say, "Uh, I'm not gifted in teaching, you need to go ask somebody else. I hope that's not your response, right? We're all, the truth is we're all called to do all kinds of ministry, even outside of the areas where we might have been specifically gifted. And I think that's pretty obvious when it comes to most of the gifts, but when it comes to evangelism, sometimes I think we can have this thought of, I'm going to leave that to the people who are good at that. That's not my job. That's not what I'm called to do. It's not my gift. And so this morning... Whether you're gifted in evangelism yet or not, I want to encourage you to share your faith. And specifically, I want God's word to encourage you to share your faith. I'm going to say something right now that's very simple and very obvious. If that's okay, that's probably actually a lot of my preaching, but here's what I'm going to say God wants you to share your faith. That's obvious statement number one. Here's obvious statement number two. The enemy, Satan, doesn't want you to share your faith. That's also okay. Yep, that makes sense. 
The enemy wants you to believe lies about what evangelism is in order to deter you from sharing your faith. God wants you to know the truth about what evangelism is to encourage and embolden you to share your faith. And so this morning, what I think we need to do is discern a little bit between some of the lies that I think we, whether we want to admit it or, or not, I think all of us believe in some way or another. Discern between the lies that we have attempted to believe about what sharing your faith is and the truth about what it actually is. And our, wouldn't you know it, our passage this morning in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 talks about just that. Our text this morning addresses three common lies that we are all tempted to believe about evangelism that can sometimes trip us up from ever sharing our faith in the first place. And so we're going to look at those three things. And here's the first common lie, I think, that we can believe sometimes about evangelism, which uh, evangelism is not shady sales tactics. (laughs) That's not what evangelism is. Look at verse 1 again. Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God... We do not lose heart. Paul's talking about here that he's uh, faced a lot of opposition in his ministry, but he has his ministry only by God's mercy, and so he presses on. Verse 2, but we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word, but by the open statement of truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. Of God. I am uh, absolutely, positively terrible at sales. I can't imagine a worse personality type than mine to be in sales. I, I, when I graduated, I think I've shared with you before, I graduated from college and worked at Taylor University as an admissions counselor. And I loved, I went to Taylor and then worked there. I loved my time at Taylor and uh, believed in the value of a Taylor education for sure. But I'd be working with, so my job was sales to try to sell high school prospective students on coming to Taylor. And so I'd work with them and I'd talk to them about how much I love to come to, I love Taylor. Taylor and that they should come to Taylor too. And, and then some of them would get excited and say, yeah, I want to come to Taylor. And then it was like something in me switched and I'd be like, are you sure though? Like it's pretty expensive. And I just like, I don't know, you know, maybe you should look at some other places too. I just don't want to like convince you to do something that isn't best for you. I would like freak out the moment I had anyone on the line. I was just terrible at it. Sometimes we can think that evangelism is this kind of sales that we're in, right? Where Jesus is the product and we got to do whatever we can to sell other people on Jesus. In fact, the Apostle Paul was being accused of using different tactics uh, in uh, his ministry that were wrong. And he was encountering different tactics that were, um, shall we say, a little bit Shady of other people and their ministry. They're using deceptive and shameful practices to increase their ministry. Paul says we don't do that. The NIV translates verse 2 like this. It says, rather we've renounced secret and shameful ways. We do not use deception, nor do we distort the word of God. The same kind of deception that he's talking about is the deception that the serpent used against Eve in the garden. That kind of deception should have nothing to do with evangelism. And now maybe for some of you, you're a little bit hesitant to share your faith because maybe like me, you're like, I don't really like like 
trying to convince people of something. I'm not very good at sales, right? You don't want to feel like a shady salesman, like you just got to convince this person that they need to buy your product no matter what it is. Not saying that all sales are shady, by the way. That's not, don't get me wrong, not what I'm saying at all. But there are a lot of churches that have operated like this, I think, where this whole service, maybe been a part of a, service, a church like this, a whole service like this, the whole service is like crescendoing to the final invitation, and then all of a sudden the lights go down real low, and the music starts to swell, and the pastor, if he didn't have a southern accent before, he starts to speak in a southern drawl. You feel like, man, I've been following Jesus for 20 years. Maybe I, I still feel like I need to walk down the aisle, right? Not saying again, not saying that every time any church uh, does that, it's wrong or, or wrongheaded or anything like that. But I did always kind of feel a little bit weird about that. It's growing up as a kid and going to church services like that, like, man, do we really believe that like the Holy Spirit has any power? Is is God up in heaven like watching a church service where they don't bring the lights down low and being like, how am I supposed to operate in these conditions? How can anyone be saved? No. Not at all. That's not what evangelism is. Maybe it's not lights and the music, but you just maybe feel a little bit of pressure to hide some parts of God's word that are maybe not quite as palatable when you first hear them. And so you feel like in evangelism, like this pressure to just get them to sign the contract before they read the fine print. It's not evangelism either. Paul says we refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word, but by the open statement of truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. You see that the open statement of truth, that's what evangelism is when you boil it down. It's the open statement of truth. It's sharing the gospel plainly. That is your job. Now, I even, I mean, I'm kind of making some jokes about this, but to be honest, like, I, I struggle with this sometimes. Even in sermon prep, I struggle, like, I get worried if I don't have just the right illustration or just say, if I don't say things just clever enough that maybe God won't be able to use them as powerfully. And simply put, that's just a lie. It's a lie from the enemy. It, evangelism is the open statement of the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the truth that we've all sinned. None of us deserve mercy from a holy God, but he gave it to us anyway in Jesus through his death and resurrection. Now, if we believe in him, his righteousness is applied, is credited to our account. If you believe in him, you'll be saved. That's the truth. And your job in evangelism is just to state the truth openly and plainly. It's not to try to hide things. It's not to try to manipulate things or manipulate people's emotions. Just state the truth. The open statement of the beautiful, wonderful, good news. There's a reason it's called good news. The good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Well, here's the second thing that evangelism isn't that we see from this passage. Evangelism does not equal guaranteed heart change. Guaranteed heart change. Verse 3, it says, Even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ 
who is the image of God. Now, maybe for some of you, I know I've struggled with this too, maybe for some of you, you're fearful to share your faith because you feel like the only way you've really evangelized is if they repent right there and believe and you get them to pray the prayer of salvation. And now I know I've done evangelism because it worked. Now, before I get too far into this, let me say that evangelism is sometimes (laughs) calling someone to repentance and they respond and they repent and they believe and they pray and they accept Christ. That's the, that is the, the goal. But it doesn't mean, if that doesn't happen, it doesn't mean that evangelism has not occurred. Evangelism is your job. The open statement of truth, that's your job. The heart change, it's not your job. Be free from that. If, the, if you feel that pressure of, well, I don't know what to say to convince them, you don't have to. It's the open statement of truth. The heart change is God's job. Paul says, even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. Meaning that can happen sometimes, that the gospel can be veiled to someone. I've seen this firsthand before many times. I don't know if you ever had this experience where you're talking to someone and they like, they can recite the facts of the gospel to you. They might even think they understand the gospel. But you can just tell that like there's something just there that's just keeping them from just fully getting it. I don't understand this. Maybe the gospel is veiled to them. And church, I'd be remiss if I didn't say this morning, maybe the gospel is veiled to you. I was praying this week as I prepared this that if there's anyone hearing this, this morning, that the gospel is veiled to them. You're like, that's, that's me. Like, I, I know the facts, but I just, it feels like people who are really following Jesus, they, like, understand it on a deeper level than me. Like, if that's you, my prayer is that your eyes would be opened and your heart would be unveiled to the things of God. And so if you sense that this morning, now on this Mother's Day, 2022, if you sense that this morning, I'm praying, and I ask that you pray the same, that God just remove this veil from my heart. Help me to really see you. Help me to really understand God. Take that veil away, and if you pray that prayer, he will answer it. He will answer that prayer. But Paul says that there's some people that the gospel is just veiled to, and he even goes on. He says, in their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God. There's a lot going on here that we don't have time to get into this morning. That's for a different sermon. But, but what he's saying, if you boil it down, is there are many people who reject the gospel because they've been blinded by the enemy, the God of this world. He's referring to Satan. So there are people who rejected the gospel because they've been blinded by the enemy. And here's how this re- relates to evangelism is you don't have the power to change that on your own. Now, God can use you in that, certainly. But on your own, in your own power, you don't have the ability to change that. Satan is cleverer than you. He's been around longer. So you don't have to take this burden on yourself in the the idea of sharing your faith that, well, it's my job to change their heart. It's God's job to change their heart. Evangelism doesn't mean you've guaranteed heart change. It means speaking and letting God 
change their heart. And this might sound obvious again, but I think it's something that can trip us up. We hear that whisper of a lie in our ear that says, don't even try to share your faith with that person, right? Like there's an opportunity right there. The door's been open, and you hear that whisper, eh, don't even try it. They're never going to believe you. Your prayer in evangelism shouldn't be, this should not be your prayer, that God give me just the right words to convince them that what they believe is wrong and they need to follow Jesus. That's not your prayer. Here's the prayer of an evangelist. If you don't take away anything else from this sermon, this is, this is what you should remember. You should write this down. I don't say that very often, so I mean it. You should write this down. I have this on a post-it in my office. The prayer of an evangelist, and I, I didn't come up with it, so that's why I feel like I can say this is the most important thing. God, it's on the next slide. Open a door for the gospel. Open my mouth to speak it, and open their heart. All of these things are the act of God. God, open a door, open my mouth, and then open their hearts. Really, you have one thing to do. It's open your mouth and plainly share the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The heart change is God's job. It's not yours. So just feel a freedom from that church to say, I can just share the good news of what's happened to me that we see in God's word. I can pray that God would give me opportunities to do that. And then I can leave it up to him. And praise God for that, amen? Praise God that he doesn't tell us in his word that if you don't say the exact right thing, their whole soul hinges on you coming up with the right words in this moment. Good grief, that's a terrifying thought, right? Open a door, open my mouth, and God, open their heart. Finally, the last thing that we see in this passage that evangelism isn't, evangelism, and this goes right along with the other things, evangelism does not equal, look at me, <laughs> look at me. Verse 5, for what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants, for Jesus' sake. Again, this it's just a sermon full of obvious things that we all need to hear. The gospel isn't about me or you. And Paul says, he says, I'm not going to go around trying to get people to follow me. I'm trying to get people to follow Jesus. And the only way I would want them to imitate me is in my imitation of Christ. I think a common hindrance of people sharing their testimony is simply that they don't feel like they have a good enough story to share. Some of you might not even remember a time when you didn't believe in Jesus. And there can be this feeling of like, uh, I don't really know if I have a good story. I'm going to leave the evangelism up to the people who have like a really powerful, compelling testimony. Like that's their job. My story's boring. No one wants to hear it. Again, I'm not going to make you raise your hand. I think that's probably many of you have felt that way. I've certainly felt that way myself. And Paul's saying here, it's not about you. It's about Jesus. When you're sharing your faith, you're not proclaiming yourself. You're not trying to show how amazing your own story is. You're trying to show how amazing Jesus is. Evangelism isn't look at me. It's look with me at Jesus. Your story might be as simple as I grew up in church and as soon as I was old enough to understand the gospel, I placed my faith in Christ and he saved me. Guess what? That's an amazing story. Your story might be, I was struggling with addiction, living a life that was just leading me in this really dark place, and Jesus came and rescued me out of that. Guess what? That's an amazing story because of Jesus, because it points to him. 
Emily and I are always at night before bed, which is a dangerous time to do this, watching these cooking competitions. We just, too much. And then I'm hungry by the end of it, and I'm eating things at 1030 at night that I just shouldn't be eating at 1030 at night. Confession I'm making to you. I was talking about this ingredient needs to be the star of the dish. That ingredient needs to be the star of the dish. And if you've watched these, you know what I'm talking about. And I'm always like, did they not think of another metaphor other than star of the dish? They say 18 times in every single one. And I was like, well, you used all these beans, but the mushrooms were supposed to be the star of the dish. Get out of here. It's just ridiculous. It's so dumb. I don't know why we watch these things. Here's a point. When you boil it down, Maybe a silly metaphor, but I think it works. Evangelism is nothing more than making Jesus the star of your story. It's not about you. It's about him. And again, this is a lie that the enemy whispers into your ear. Well, you don't have a good enough story, so you could never share it with anyone. They wouldn't, they wouldn't want to follow Jesus just based on your boring life or whatever. It's a, it's a lie. Sharing your story is really important. Something I'm passionate about. Something our neighbor's team at our church is passionate about. Next week, you're going to hear from our neighbor's team about some of the exciting things both that have been going on and are are on the horizon when it comes to local outreach as a church. But as I met with them about uh, the preceding months, about what they wanted us as a church to walk away with from these services, they said they wanted us to hear that everyone has a story And that God can use every story for his glory. And that's what your testimony is. It's sharing my story for God's glory. And so to that end, what we've actually done is we put together a video of four people from our church sharing their story. These are four people who have different stories. And they're people who are walking with the Lord because of what God has done. And we put this video together for you as you watch this. I want you to hear the stories, but I also want you to be thinking about what's my story? What has God done in my life? And how can I be sharing that story with others? And so as you're watching this video, be thinking about your own story and be thinking about how God can use you. Take a look. So my name is Rob Gunn, and we... So my name is Rob Gunn. And we started attending Rock Prairie in July of 2020. Uh, We officially became members this past year. I grew up going to a church in which um, it seemed to be more in reference to steps and tasks that I had to do in order to kind of gain the love of God. I knew at the time that there was something not right about that. In middle school, I attended a church with Uh, my best friend. I noticed that there was something different, um, that it was significantly more about a relationship um, as opposed to anything else that you had to do in order to um, earn that love or to have that relationship. That was the first time that I saw um, people who truly had a relationship with Jesus. I wish I could say that that was the moment in which was like, okay, this is the direction I need to go. Fast forward to a little bit later in life after going through some life events and you know, discovering me as a, as a young adult, um, my wife Kelly and I got together and we made a move. Uh, we, went a mo- we made a move to Southwest Florida. So we then sought out another church and 
from the moment we went in each week like it was almost like each and every sermon was speaking directly to us that became our home church and we ended up getting baptized there we were married there Peyton was was born down there she was dedicated there if our walk didn't start there it definitely picked back up there you know that church was (laughs) such a such a blessing for us prior to that church in Fort Myers. It was more about, there's this Jesus who loves me, however, he doesn't care about this, or he loves me, but there's this over here. And what I began to realize there was that he cares about me all the time, and he loves me all the time, and there's nothing that I have to do for that. Once you know him, you look back, and you see that he was in every single detail along the way and just turn everything over to him and allow him to do what he wants to do. What I've learned is that he always has our best interest in mind. My name's Jerry Watson and my wife Jeannie and I have attended Rock Prairie uh, since August of 2021. I grew up in the church, got baptized when I was 11, went to church fairly regular until my late teens, early 20s, and then I kind of wandered off course. And then when I turned 40, I went through a couple years of very rough times and went through a divorce, lost a business, and was grateful for my church background because it drew me in to him and it uh, grew my walk. And I look back on it now, and it was just a time of polishing and knocking the rough spots off. I rededicated my life, and that's kind of when I got on the road of daily reading. Every morning I start my day out. I don't care if I had to work till three or four in the morning and had to go back. I still got into the Word before I went back out into the world, and I bet you count on one hand the times I've missed spending quiet time with Him, and I am so grateful for that. because. Even now when we have trials and tribulations and things that you're angst about. I sold my business late last year to my son and that was a tumultuous time for me because I was always, being the boss, I was always in control. And no longer I'm not, so uh, that piece came a whole lot better and a lot easier than I think it would have ever before that. My name is Marsha McCauley, married to Tony McCauley. Um, We have two kids and six grandkids, and I have come to Rock Prairie for as long as I've been living, which I don't know if I should say that. It's almost 62 years. Um, I grew up in a Christian home, so I was was quite young when when I accepted the Lord as my Savior, and I was eight years old when I was baptized and I was baptized in a creek. When I was younger, especially, and I still look up to my sister, but I, whatever she did, I did, and, and she and I got baptized at the same time, and I'm thankful that she made good choices because, you know, because if she hadn't made good choices, I'm not sure what I would have done. I was actually, in my earlier years, and I still am, a rule follower. When I was in high school at church camp at one point, I just it just hit me that, you know, it's not just about the rules. It's not about, you know, being saved from going to hell. It's it's about a relationship with, with Christ. How is your life different since I have a relationship with the Lord? It's personal. It's that I know that I can talk to Him anytime. I have that assurance that um, I have peace in the midst of hard stuff. I have joy 
and that only he can give because there's times when you just don't feel like it you know it's not based on our feelings it's based on we what we know that Christ has given us and that Christ is always there for us and I just have the assurance that one day I'm going to be in heaven with Christ and while I'm here I, I want to make the most of my time here and teach others uh, what I know and show them the word and and um, have helped them to have the assurance that I have. My name is Kayla Partlow. We started coming to Rock Prairie about three years ago, my husband and I and our three children. I grew up going to church. I did not have a true relationship with Christ, the true understanding of what it meant for him to be my savior. There was a lot of anxiety. There was a lot of fear. There was a lot of self-based um, performance and that's exhausting. I got to a point to where I knew that I could not keep going and even though I was going to church and felt like I was doing what was right, I couldn't keep handling it all on myself. So we started coming to Rock Prairie simply because it was close. Coming here felt like no other time where I had been in church. I felt at home and I felt truly like I was able just to walk in and let go of myself and worship and it was a beautiful thing and the more I came to Rock Prairie the more I came to realize that I had been doing Christ wrong I had been not just religion but my relationship with him was what do I need to do so he will be there for me what do I need to do I can't tell you how much of a relief it was to know I was wrong it was it huge relief. It's not based on what I need to do because everything I did fell short. I wasn't good enough and I didn't need to be. And I was putting that on my kids, not on purpose, but they picked that up. The other day my daughter came up to me and she told me, she said, mom, you just seem happier. Do I still deal with fear and anxiety? Yes, I do. Do I still try and do everything perfectly? Sometimes but I'm learning so much easier. I am no longer exhausted in my relationship with Christ. I am finally resting in His hands, and it's a beautiful thing. Amen. Praise God, praise God for those stories, amen. How cool, and thank you to all of you who shared. I know it takes boldness. Um, to share your story like that. And uh, guess what, church? You have a story too. And so as we close this morning, I'm going to give you some homework. I don't do this very often, okay? But I'm going to give you some homework. At noon today, if I did it right, we all know there's a very good chance that I didn't do it right. But at noon today, there's going to be an email that is going to go out to everyone in our church. And then attached to this email is a testimony worksheet. This worksheet has two different types of testimonies. This is something that actually we just did as a Guatemala team in our training. It has two different types of testimonies on it. One is a salvation testimony, the, the story of how God saved you. There's another, the, another type of testimony is a story of God's work in your life. I think sometimes we can get in our heads like the only kind of testimony is just the story of how I came to faith. That's not true at all. There's a million different kinds of testimonies, right? Any, any time you're saying what God did in your life, that is a testimony of God's work in your life. And so uh, here's what I'm going to encourage you to do. Here's your homework. I have uh, three, three challenges to you. First of all, 
I want you to fill out either one or both of these worksheets. So it just has questions. It just has you fill in the answers as they pertain to your life and keep it short. It doesn't have to be you know, a novel, uh, something that's short that you can share easily. So that's number one. Fill out one of the, or both of the worksheets of how God saved you or what, something that God did in your life. Number two, here's the second part of the homework. All I'm asking is that you pray that evangelist prayer over. If you can put it back up on the screen one more time. As when you're done with it, you just pray this prayer. God, open a door for me to share this. Open my mouth. Once that door is open, don't let me you know, shrink away in fear. Open my mouth to actually share it. And then open their heart, the heart of the person who I'm going to share it with. So I'm not necessarily saying you have to share it, but I'm asking you to at least genuinely, I know it's a scary prayer. It's a scary prayer, isn't it? Genuinely pray this. God, please open a door for me to share my testimony here that I've written down. And then when that door is open, open my mouth. And once I've opened my mouth, God, may you open their heart to receive it. That's the second part of your homework. And then the third part of your homework is if God does open a door for you to share uh, your story and you do it, you open your mouth, I'd just love to hear about it. So if you would just reply to that email and just send me a quick email to just tell me the story of how God gave you the opportunity to open that door. That's your homework. It's not too bad. So it's going out at noon. So you you guys, you know, go to Mother's Day brunch or whatever, and then come right back and get to work. Okay. (laughs) I'm excited to see what God can do with that. We're called to share our faith. We've been saved by an awesome God, and we're called to share our story for his glory. Let's be a church filled with people so passionate about the unveiled glory of God that we can't help but share the good news to anyone who will listen. Amen? Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, you are good. We praise you for saving us. Lord, I pray if there is anyone in this room who you've been working in their heart, they understand that the, the gospel has been somewhat veiled to them. Lord, I pray that you would open their eyes and unveil it, God. They would see the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face, the beautiful face of Jesus Christ. God, give us a boldness as a church, as a people who have been saved radically. Give us a radical boldness wherever, with whatever opportunities you give us. We all have different opportunities or different people, Lord, but we know you've placed us here for a reason. So give us a radical boldness to share the good news of Jesus Christ with those who you've given us the opportunity. Open doors, open our mouths, and open their hearts to your glory, God, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.